0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film Life Partners. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast as we talk about a whole bunch of other stuff and it's like broad film chat. But if you do proceed without having seen the film, just be aware that there are a couple of minor plot spoilers. Enjoy.
0: what up
1: hello oh nice shirt you <laughs> you douchebag <laughs> um
0: yeah i thought i'd wear
1: it especially for you thank you yeah i i love the the red stockings they are my favorite team in the bases ball
0: the 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 crimson feet are the best of all of the sports teams ever yeah
1: they actually are doing very well um, so far for, this for season. those
0: of you Uh, Who are listening in? Who cannot see it? Um, I recently bought a Red Sox jersey, um, mainly because I love the city of Boston. Uh, But as a secondary measure, it was to ensure that I piss off Paddy as much as possible.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the, the Red Sox are the worstest team. It's a shame because Boston, as you say, is a really cool place. I've been there once and I really, really liked it. It was really nice to walk around. But yeah, I support the Toronto Blue Jays. They play in the American League East with the Red Sox and. The Red Sox have a lot of very good players and are very smug. So they can suck it. I think all of the big teams are very smug, though. This is true. This is true. Yeah, the Yankees Um, are pretty smug, too.
0: Yeah. And um, when it comes to, um, like, American football, obviously everyone hates the Patriots. Yeah. Who, again, are very
1: smug and very successful. Yeah. Um, It's basically because I don't like success. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you support the Blue Jays.
1: Yeah, basically. Although, do yeah, they they made the playoffs 2015-2016. They did all right. They have won the World Series twice, two years back to back, so that's something some of the teams yes. have never won. But then the Red Sox have won like 100 times or whatever, so.
0: Yeah, although the Red Sox sort of um they had that very very long period where they didn't
1: win. Yeah. Not as long as the Cubs, obviously, who were no. li- literally cursed.
0: Yeah, there was a there was some kind of satanic curse on them, wasn't there?
1: Yep. Goat um, voodoo.
0: And, and and that's why people don't like the Yankees, is that actually it was the um Yankees coach at the time who uh who did a voodoo curse on them. Yep. This this is actual sports history by the way. Definitely accurate
1: Yankee Voodoo. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yankee Voodoo went to town.
1: <laughs> yep. Do <Doo-dah>, da, <doo-dah. laughs> <laughs> No, it does look good on you, though the the red shirt. It's yeah, a, it's I think good, I, um, is it the proper material as well.
0: It is. Yeah, it's an official one. Um, that I I had an opportunity to get a jersey at twenty percent of the regular price. So not I bad. Took it. Not bad. Um, just out of shot, you can't see it, but the cat is lying on me, Aww. just on my just on my left leg. Um, she was asleep until I started setting up for the podcast. And then she came downstairs and I was like, this again. And, and it seems as though every single time I start messing around with setting stuff up for the podcast, she becomes awake and starts running around and scurrying around and attacking things. And there was a brief moment where she was messing with the dials again on the mixing desk. And I was like, oh no, but actually for now, at least she's content and asleep on me. I so think I'm going to try and move as little as possible.
1: Okay. Yeah. Don't don't do any gesturing, don't do any of your the wild flailing that you do. It's probably good that this isn't like a video podcast because what our listeners can't see is that you're flailing all the time. Like while we're am, talking. Your arms are just everywhere.
0: I am one of those wacky inflatable men outside car dealerships.
1: <laughs> that that is that is what I do permanently. The the tube the tube the guys who have the right tube air arms. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh yeah, that,
0: that, and that's my tr- signature move. It shows as well, isn't it, Paddy? When people come to see Palomino Club play,
1: yeah, it's um, remarkable that you can play bass at all with the way that your arms are. But somehow you manage it. it. it.
0: It's because I I sing all of the bass parts into a microphone instead. <laughs> yeah, so, there, it, the bass guitar itself is just for show. Yeah, I've, I've become an expert at mimicking the sounds of a
1: bass guitar with my mouth, like um, um like like the guy who did flame. um, who did all the music for Seinfeld, you know um. All of it was just done on the one guy's mouth. It wasn't even a real bass. It was just a it guy going up to yeah. a mic and going. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh the guy who did all the music for Seinfeld was also the guy who did all of the noises in the police academy movies.
1: Yeah, same guy. True fact. True fact. That's that's how it all goes. And uh
0: shocking reveal, I am
1: <laughs> Yeah. You've been, you've been downplaying it because, but you didn't want everyone to like mop your house and stuff because that man is incredibly famous and you are that man. So yeah, now exactly. you're going to get papped.
0: I went through a lot of plastic surgery to not look like I was in my 20s <laughs> um, and black in the 1980s. Um,
1: <laughs> and also to make sure that you could do musical instrument stuff with your mouth. So you got an actual trumpet grafted onto your face just coming slightly out of your jaw at the bottom so you can go wow 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 yeah exactly i'm i am a uh,
0: biomechanical nightmare now yep yeah. um though i generally manage to cover it up by wearing sports jerseys
1: <laughs> yeah that's why that's why you um you're able to wear a red Sox jersey cuz they all like to blow their own trumpets
0: oh <laughs> snap wow well, wow well. at least they have trumpets blue
1: jays (laughs) yeah the blue jays have flutes
0: they all have french horns yeah
1: (laughs) actually i really like the sound of a french horn it sounds warm
0: they're not actually french are they the french horn
1: no and it's like the cor anglais as well which is french for english horn is a very non-english instrument it's like a a clarinet with a big a big bollock on the bottom (laughs) it's a very um, very strange and ugly (laughs) instrument and in um, the only time I can think of the Corps Anglais ever being represented in popular culture was, you know, there's that episode of Peep Show where um, there's a new guy at Mark's work. It's quite early on. I think it's like season two. And there's a new guy at Mark's work who Mark starts hanging out with and it turns out that he's a massive racist. Oh, yes, yeah. That guy plays the Corps Anglais. <laughs> <laughs> and you actually get to see him playing it as well because it's the same episode where Jeremy... Gets a commission for an advert for Honda because he knew the guy who um, who's making the advert, and he's composed like the worst piece of music imaginable. Imaginable, and Daryl the racist comes in and plays his core anglais on it, and it's terrible. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hence, proving that racists can't create art.
1: No, they cannot. Only only bad art. Yeah. Yeah, um, there's there's no there's no um, no black. It's only black and white. There's no middle ground. Nothing at all. No complication. Racists can't do good art. That uh, it's entirely true. If you're racist, you put down your pencil. I once saw Nigel Farage trying to paint a horse, and it just looked like a sausage.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, Jacob Rees-Mogg tried to write some erotic fiction um, about it. It was basically like. Um, Atlas shrugs, but with lots of penises in it. Um, Atlas Shagged. And and yeah, Atlas Shagged, and it it did not turn out well. It was a disaster. Um, It was
1: about as unerotic as it's possible to be. Yeah. Um,
0: Much like Jacob Rees-Mogg himself.
1: Yes, indeed. So obviously we have to celebrate the fact that the Beano, earlier this week, sent him a cease and desist letter telling him to stop impersonating Walter the Softie. And seeing as we were the first people to ever point out his resemblance to Walter the Softy, I think um, we deserve some of that sweet, sweet money when it starts rolling in to the Bino. So Bino, if you're listening, give us your money. Yeah, come on Beano, stealing know, our ideas. I know you haven't got as much money as Disney, but you're still on our list.
0: Yeah, exactly. Everyone's on our list. Our list if of you've potential taken
1: <laughs> benefactors.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's like great expectations. Um, but uh, yeah, I felt so vindicated when I saw that from the Beano because, like you said, I'd, I haven't seen anyone else saying that apart from me and you. Yeah, and and coming from the official source of water um, the it water made source. me feel it, it <laughs> exactly. It made me <laughs> feel very very happy to see that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I love it. Well done, Bino. Yeah. But give us your money.
1: Yeah. Well, well done. The time has come for you to say well done to us in the form of. Cold hard cash, yeah. Or war- warm, warm cash. cash. I don't mind if it's a little bit warm.
0: I'm alright with any form of yeah. cash.
1: Yeah, you know, sometimes you get you get a coin. Someone gives you a coin and it's a little bit warm.
0: That's all right. Yeah, it's still good. Yeah, still use it to buy a can of Coke. Although possibly not now that we've got the sugar tax. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it might yeah, take more than one coin.
1: It's terrible. Everyone's going to keep drinking Coke. There's just going to be more of people wasting their money on it. It's, yes. It's, I don't think it's a good policy. Do you?
0: I don't think it's a good policy, no. And I'm sure some of that stems from the fact that I find Jamie Oliver very irritating. Um, yeah. But I, I still like, I don't think it's a very, I don't like those, and, and it's effectively a flat tax on everybody. Yeah. Um,
1: it tars everybody with the same Coca-Cola brush.
0: And I, I find like, obviously things like, vat are great because the people who spend more money on things contribute more just because of the way that you know obviously they spend more money on stuff in general but something like that where like it specifically targets sugary drinks um i kind of find it strange because it's going to impact on like lower class and middle class people the most
1: yeah Definitely.
0: And like, that's not the way that taxation should
1: work, in my opinion. No, absolutely not. It should come from, it should be, it should be Robin Hood. Steal from the rich to feed to the poor.
0: Yes. Um, and like, I don't really drink, um, I, I've cut out full fat sugar drinks from my diet almost entirely. So it's not going to impact me too much, but I still find it a little bit uneasy.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I don't generally drink fizzy drinks that much. Occasionally, I might have a Coke Zero. Um, of a lunchtime if I've forgotten to bring my own lunch into work and I go up to the cafe, they have Coke Zero and it always looks nice and there's nice cold cans. I'm not immune to that. But, you know, the the way it should work is that if a regular a regular Joe goes into, you know, a, into a shop and wants to buy a can of Coke, 50p for you, sir. If Jacob Reese mogg walks in in his top hat and tails, for you, sir, 100 pounds. And he'd be like, all right, whatever, because he can afford that, it.
0: That's exactly how it should work. And also people that rich don't really know the value of anything. So they'd quite mm. happily give a hundred pounds for a can of Coke.
1: Yeah, there's so many, um so many things like that where they've asked like David Cameron or Boris Johnson or whoever, like what's the price of a pint of milk or whatever and they don't know. Like they wildly, wildly off figures and stuff. It should be like that. It should be just that shopkeepers have the like and even like big supermarkets and whatever have the discretion to charge whatever they want to anyone that they think is rich.
0: They, they have like a tiered system but you yeah. know how at the moment when you go to a supermarket uh, you see those little signs saying like if you look under 25 we might um we might ask you for id now yeah. it's like there, there's like four different brackets of how rich they think you are yeah and like the top one is just like if you come in here with a cane and a monocle we're gonna rinse you of all your cash
1: Yeah. And it's like, you know how when um, if the kid behind like serving you on the till is aged between 16 and 18, they have to get an adult to approve it. It's like that. Sorry, I'm going to have to call my supervisor. Kelly, is this guy rich or not? (laughs) They
0: have to they have to call up someone who is of the same level of wealth. (laughs) So it's like, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to call our, our wealth management expert. Yeah. Um and, and calls up and then they come downstairs and it's like,
1: Oh Tarquin, hello. I
0: recognise <laughs> you from school. Yes, this guy's fucking rich. Charge him for everything.
1: <laughs> like every Sainsbury's just has a rich man who sits out the back and waits to be called up to verify the <laughs> <all> other people's <laughs> they're, richness.
0: They're sitting there next to the security guy at the front desk.
1: Yeah. Just just chilling out, reading reading horse and hound.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, And then, yeah, they just get called up. But they've still got to wear, like, they have to wear, like, uh, a Sainsbury's tabard over their suit.
1: (laughs) A nice one, Uh, you know. Or or maybe they have, like,
0: a. I think maybe, no, they should have a Sainsbury's suit. So it's, like, a really nice bespoke suit, apart from the tie is orange and has Sainsbury's written over and over again. Or it's that weird
1: purple that's not quite a purple colour that they have to wear? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know what Um, you'd call that colour, even.
0: uh, Yeah, I don't know.
1: The dark... devised
0: by sainsbury's
1: yeah yeah it's just called sainsbury's peach and despair
0: <laughs> um yeah i like this idea paddy i think yeah. we should we should run with it we should set up our own shop um yeah.
1: this is uh, the future that liberals want
0: yeah karl marx breeze we'll call it <laughs> um and yeah it's you know if you if you don't have very much money
1: we won't charge you very much if you have a yeah. lot of money
0: we'll charge you lots of money but we won't say that
1: yeah because it'll cause seem we... cheap to you
0: yes exactly
1: it's it's kind of like how a lot of things like algor- search algorithms are tailored to you so you know on amazon if you type in a book or a film or whatever you'll get different results to someone else and like and actually i'm told that airlines do this and other purposes do like different prices for different people every time you log on um Based on what they, you know, what they think you can afford and what they think you'll pay and stuff, based on your spending habits and all this kind of insidious stuff. It's basically the benign IRL version of that, isn't it?
0: Yeah, um, it's effectively that. Apart from it's much less predatory than that because we're only targeting rich people who can afford it. Yeah, um, everyone else obviously, is fine. Which obviously makes it okay, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's totally fine. Yeah, of to, course, to, to target rich people over anybody else. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah, I find those kind of things very strange. And there's been several cases now where um, where they found out that certainly like insurance companies and things like that have been identifying people based on their race or ethnicity mm. or heritage and charging more or denying people based on it. Yeah. That's, um, that's... Which is super sketchy. Um, and again, they get a lot of information from Facebook as well. And there's been lots of cases where Facebook's been allowed people to run adverts where they will only they'll like target a specific demographic and leave out black people and stuff like that. Yeah. Which is not which is not allowed. Highly um, insidious. Um, and it just goes to show that like tech companies are rubbish. Yeah. And like, no. I, I read this amazing article the other day about there's this tech startup that thinks that they can provide impartial news via an algorithm. And it's like, no, you can't. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's no. not going to work.
1: You you can try to make it impartial, but it will always be skewed because lots of people have lunatic right wing opinions and you're going to have to include them in the mix somewhere. And then there yeah, you go.
0: Eventually, like you'll, you'll have all of the lunatic left wing and all of the lunatic right wing opinions. And it is just going to be seize the means of production and then set fire to everybody. <laughs> and then that's that's going to be it. That's going to be your impartial news source right there.
1: Yeah. And then there'll be the centrist dads will take to the streets to go for a jog and then go home.
0: Yeah. Um, have you heard about this new centrist party? I have. It? Yeah. Supposedly in the works from the guy who made Love Film.
1: Yeah. We've got a bunch of money from a guy who made a business, then sold it to Amazon.
0: Yeah, great. Yes. Um and and their idea is to be like a centrist party um that sort of like takes lots of ideas from either side. And I kind of understand the frustration is if you're if you're center left or center right at the moment there's no one really there for you apart from the Lib Dems and obviously no one wants to vote for them. No. Um so I understand that frustration, but at the same time like it's going to be very very difficult for them to get anywhere under the current political system in the UK. And at best, all it's going to do is steal votes from, probably from Labour, I imagine.
1: Yeah, definitely. No one one on the right will be interested in that. So it'll just take votes away from the kind of people who don't want to vote for the Tories because they realise that what they're doing is evil, but don't want to vote for Corbyn because he's not particularly competent, or they think that he's too left-wing, or they buy the idea that you can't be left wing because, you know, or people who still kind of realize that the Tories are evil, but still think that capitalism is okay because it works for them. It's going to attract those kind of people, I guess.
0: Yeah. Um, it's going to attract those people. And like, I'm not particularly fond of the labor party under Jeremy Corbyn. Um, like I voted for them because obviously the alternative is, is terrible, 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 Theresa May and a bunch of incompetent loons. Um, but like I still would be hesitant to vote for an entirely new party because you kind of you have this you have like historical um sort of like case studies of this like the social democrats in the 80s and pretty much always when you try and make a centrist party that's kind of left leaning socially all you do is take votes away from the core left party as is yeah um there's not that same groundswell um, as there was in France, for instance, with Emmanuel Macron, um, there's yeah. not that that case where everybody is so unbelievably corrupt that someone who's entirely fresh can come through and just sweep the board.
1: The French system is very different, and it's not driven by you know a sort of very very backward tabloid culture. You know the the ability of a centrist party to address that kind of real fundamental issue at the centre of British culture and politics. Just there's, there's, I can't see how they could do that, no matter how much money they threw at it. So yeah, I, yeah. Don't, th- I don't, I don't think, think it's th- going to work.
0: No, um, and like I do have, you know, some queries about a, a party that's supposedly going to be like left leaning and pro NHS, but at the same time wants to curb immigration. yeah and i mean obviously you've got that in the labor party at the moment but it seems as though if you try to grab too much from both sides at the same time it's very hard to create a coherent policy
1: yeah it's it's going to be completely incoherent and it's not really taking a stand on anything if it's to stand up and say okay we want to stop brexit then that might be a whole different matter but i don't think that's on the agenda is it
0: no, no, I, I don't think, well, there are some, there are apparently some sort of like Brexit advocates that are involved, so I imagine that it wouldn't be. And again, if you had a new party that was basically like, let's stop this absolute horror show that is Brexit, um, that would probably do quite well in Although, certain areas.
1: Having said that, I think the Lib Dems ha- are anti-Brexit or they think that it should be stopped, but they've only got eight MPs or something. So, But that's still eight more MPs than this completely new party has got. And they're not really getting anywhere or not really being able they're not really able to influence things in any meaningful way. So I don't know. They're and not, but just, at the same yeah.
0: time, that's partly because the Lib Dems are terrible. Um and everybody hates them on the left wing and the right wing. Um so all they've got really is their core support of people who stood by them through the fact that they helped contribute to a government that murdered a hundred thousand people and then stood by that decision afterwards. Um so yeah, I don't I don't think I think the Lib Dems are like they're kind of done and I they really need to sort of it's going to take a long time for them to um pull back to where they were before if they ever can just because of the way that they were complicit in that Tory government that then led to Brexit in the first place.
1: Yep. And because of the way that Tim Farron is obsessed with gay sex.
0: Yes, yeah. Um so like they they they've had several very bad missteps. Um over the last few years which is a shame because they were a very attentive party and like on a local MP level they were great and they really cared about their constituents Um, and in local politics as well Um, so like councils and things like that they've always been wonderful but unfortunately because of the decisions made by the top chain it's kind of really damaged them
1: Yeah, Um, to to be fair, we live in a Lib Dem constituency and Ed Davey is the MP. He's been there since 97. He has a brief blip 2017 to 2015, 2017, where he lost the seat to the Tories and then gained it back. I've got a lot of time for him. He's done a lot of good work, as have the Lib Dems on Kingston Council. Um, But overall, it's just such a it's difficult. It's difficult to make that into something really, really meaningful at the top level to address the fact that we're all being screwed by the Tories.
0: Um and when you've got a party that was in in line with them, in cahoots with them, in screwing over people, it's hard to like forgive that so quickly, if you know what I mean. And I think that's still what's what's damaging the Lib Dems. Um and like I've 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 voted Lib Dem before, but it's it's gonna take a real sort of change of direction from them and like for them to stop kind of saying, Oh, well, we did what we had to do. It's like, No, you didn't. You could have quite easily allowed them not to form a government and stood by your principles. Yeah.
1: They always say that. And then when you look at people's voting records, it always shakes out differently. And actually, that applies to Labour almost a lot more because there are so many kind of things like this recent free school meals vote. Like why people don't just vote against things where they know that they're evil. Like it's I don't understand it. It seems like it's big. It's political operation to vote with vote for something that you don't necessarily actually agree with because it's seen as playing playing politics in a certain way you know or that if you if you actually vote how you believe like how corbyn was doing on the back benches for however long that you're not actually operating politically i don't know it's all just the whole system is fucked
0: it is it is um and yeah it's it totally sucks and all the parties suck but this new party is also going to suck um so let's... i don't like i
1: don't really like parties to be honest
0: uh, political parties or house parties all
1: parties i don't (laughs) i don't like to party
0: but you know what parties looked great paddy what all of like the lesbian parties in life partners that's true didn't you want to just jump into those parties i would
1: go to a party where it was how many lesbians can you fit in a subaru i would definitely attend that party
0: I mean, obviously, we would not quite fit in, not being lesbian.
1: No, we wouldn't. But, we wouldn't be allowed to get in the Subaru, and that's fine.
0: But like, feel like there, there's clearly like some like LGBTQ plus events going on. Yep.
1: Sword um, fighting. And it all looks
0: like <laughs> sword fighting, um, which all looks it all looks absolutely amazing. And yeah, like um, like life partners seem to do a really good job of like bringing that kind of. Lifestyle to life in a really organic way, and it felt really, really genuine. Don't you think?
1: Yes, it did. It didn't feel forced to me in any way. I mean, I'd be interested to see what anyone out there who is a lesbian made of it, because maybe, maybe it didn't. But to me, as as a straight man, that seemed that seemed great to me. It seemed like it was all fun, and they weren't overdoing anything or pushing any particular point. It was just like this is what her lifestyle is like. It's slightly different to her friend's lifestyle, but they all they all get along and she seems to be having a lot of fun but then there, there are th- other things like she's always dating women who are younger than her and less mature and that kind of thing so there there are hints of the other parts of it that aren't as um as much fun i suppose
0: yeah yeah and and like it it shows um a a sort of like there's this and and, and it kind of it's an idea that kind of stems for a lot of people who are really obsessed with becoming something major in a creative fashion is that inability to move from like the mid 20s to the late 20s to the 30s and kind of being stuck in that early 20s mindset um, where like things like careers aren't important but at the same time you have to maintain it at a very basic level. Um, and that's and that's quite where quite a lot of the friction comes from between the characters in this film as well is that inability to move forward with things in a positive manner
1: yeah that kind of creative stasis as well there's there's a really good scene where um Sasha played by Leighton Meester is she's just sitting there kind of plunking aimlessly on her guitar and obviously trying to write a song it's not really like drawn out but the way she just obviously has no creative energy at all um is really really interesting and it's a it's a good way of portraying all that stuff and especially there's a lot of people around there who are all like i want to be a writer i want to be this i want to be that um where it's it's kind of gently poking fun at that and kind of portraying that kind of creative desire in people without coming down on the side of you know everyone is doing this and they're doing it and they're great um, when actually they're kind of a bit privileged like a show like girls did a little bit even though I thought it was a really good show it was all a bit actually how do you afford to live in new york and do all this stuff whereas it was, it was a bit like actually yeah she's working as a receptionist and it but it's not kind of it didn't try and put too fine a point on any of it either it but it still you could still take those messages from it it was quite it was light in that sense it was in a yeah you know, it walked a lot of lines i think in a good way
0: Yeah, yeah. It managed to come down quite well in that middle ground, um, I suppose, where it doesn't, that's, and it's not really like the core point of the movie, um, but like it does it in such a fashion that you kind of understand it. And like a lot of people have taken sort of like side jobs to sort of get by when trying to do something creative. Um and like and and that is the big problem with girls or one of the problems with girls is like how are these people affording to live in such a manner that they are and like there are obviously all these hints that they get fuckloads of money from their parents all the way through it, um but that then takes away from like the the struggles that they have I suppose whereas this like all of the struggles. Like, you never get the sense that anyone's really struggling badly in their lives. No, but and her parents time, are giving her money
1: them. as well. And they yeah. show that
0: as well. And they show it as well. And like, and but it, all of it feels very real. Um, and like, none of it is overly laboured, which is another problem I had with girls, is like, everything's a big deal. Whereas in this film, like, the big deals are the relationships between people, much like in real life, is like... If you have a good support network around you, you can generally get through anything. But when there's friction in that support network, that's when things become difficult, and that's kind of how it operates in this movie, I suppose
1: yeah, it's character driven and I think that that's what makes the real difference is it it's not driven by plot, it's not driven by big narrative events or anything. it's more just about slowly building up portraits of intimacy between two people and how they deal with sort of certain changes and how people process things and moving towards different different parts of life I guess so it did that very very well as you say nothing seemed like a huge deal um and nothing was overdone which was which was very very good because it would have been very easy to say make make out make a big deal out of the fact that um Jillian Jacobs's character is a very successful lawyer and her friend's a receptionist and that could have been like a huge tension but I think that's been done hasn't it and that the film realized that that had been done so that element of their friendship wasn't really a big deal or it wasn't played off as a tension between the two of them which would have been too easy.
0: Yeah exactly and and it does it in a really it does it in a very subtle way in a very clever way um, and instead it is all about the changes that happen and and what I like a lot about this film, and part of the reason why it stuck with me since I saw it the first time, is that it deals with the side of relationships that's not often talked about in film, which is like how you integrate someone's friendship groups and very close friends when there's such a heavy change in your life, um, which is never really talked about in like a an in-depth way. It's sometimes like, the butt of a joke or an overly dramatic moment about like a crazy boyfriend or girlfriend who doesn't let someone see their friends whereas this does it in a very realistic manner i find um where like obviously they both want to continue seeing each other but um but Jillian Jacobs's page can't devote as much time um and at the same time also perhaps doesn't devote as much time as she should do to Sasha um in such a delicate moment in her life if you know what i mean
1: yeah and also a a lot of it is um affected or it's shown through moments where there there are bits that if you're cynical you'd say it was deus ex machina but it's like uh, they they have the thing for her birthday they go away to the motel and they play girl talk and stuff and then tim the fiance he called he, uh, I think, although well, they're not engaged at that point, he call he calls up, um, and she's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I have to take the call because something bad happened at his dad's nursing home, or whatever." And they could have made that actually like they could have really labored that point by having the dad get really sick. And I thought they might actually go down that route and then make it like, "Oh, she has to deal with his dad's tragic illness, and it's all really tragic and stuff." And then that is the thing; like, it's more about a big life event tragically coming between two friends, when actually it's more complex than that. Where like actually. Yeah, that's more like a situation you're likely to find yourself in, where you know that someone has to go and do their thing, but you still kind of resent them for it, which is a lot more realistic. So yeah, it was definitely much more realistic than a lot of films in this genre. That was exactly what Love and Other Drugs did, wasn't it? Which is a terrible, very very different, very terrible film. But it tacked on a big, sad, tragic plot thing at the end to do with illness. And I was worried for a second that this film was going to do it, but it didn't.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and I had when I first watched it, I had the same kind of worries where like I thought they were going to make like the boyfriend slash fiance into a dick or they were going to um to like really labor down the point that it was going to be like a division between like she's straight and she's gay. So it's going to be a divide there as well. But like they never do that. And um and it's really well done. And I really love the way that they sort of it feels so real. Um, but also, and, and that's part of where all of the comedy stems from as well, um, is is that it is like a sort of, it's all minor things that build up to something big. And so because it is these minor things, you can really bring that relationship to life rather than focusing too much on heavy plot points. So I love the fact that like, and you see it multiple times throughout the film, is when they're driving next to one another, um, they'll have like fake road, wa- road rage at one another. And like every single one of those times that they did that, it made me laugh. And like the first time that you see it, um, you're like, oh, God, what's going on? I thought this was a movie about two friends. Is this how they meet or something like that? But you realise very quickly that it's an in-joke between them.
1: That's it, um, the, the book-ending device.
0: Yes. But yeah. it's,
1: it's used very, very well. And it's not used too many times, but it's at the beginning, the middle and the end. And it's quite funny. It always Films that open with funny swearing. Always good.
0: Yes, yeah, exactly. It's always it's always good to see that, and 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 it feels like the kind of thing that real people would do as well. Like I could quite imagine you and I, or you and Rob Sherman, for instance, doing that kind of thing if we if we were randomly driving and saw each other outside of somewhere like London, obviously, where um you wouldn't want to delay people too much. <laughs> but if it was like in Sussex or something like that, I could quite yeah. easily imagine some 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 fake swearing and fake anger going on.
1: Yeah. It was all, that stuff was all very, very good. It was very well done. I, let's see. So I hadn't heard of it before until you brought it in, but you said you'd seen it before. How did you come across it?
0: Um, I found it on a random list of, um, I was looking up sort of like LGBTQ movies um, and I found it on a random list of that as like a very realistic depiction um that would make you laugh. And it had like, watch this movie if you like. And I think Bridesmaids was one of the titles that they sort of listed underneath.
1: Oh right. Okay. Um,
0: and I thought, Oh, okay, yeah, I'll give that a go. So Katie and I watched it. And um yeah, and it's not very much like that at all. Obviously there's that same sort of like overarching friction between friends deal that they've got going on. But like it feels very, very different. Um there's there's no real slapstick in this movie whatsoever. Right. Um but, there's um, no but, yeah, so silliness. I, I the, no, there's there? no silliness in this film. The only silliness comes from like deliberate silliness from the characters themselves when they're having a joke. There's no like farcical humor
1: as it were. No. There's
0: no No, no. one takes a crap in a sink in this <laughs> movie.
1: No, or in the middle of the street.
0: No. Um, and and would I like it more if there was a scene where someone crapped in a sink? Possibly.
1: It's one but... of your essential elements, isn't it? Yeah,
0: I mean, a, a point has been taken off because there was a lack of crapping in sinks in this
1: film. <laughs> and for me, said. I want every film to have a scene where they play tennis in slow motion to "Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap" by ACDC. <laughs> that's, that's one of my um, one of my all time faves. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's our prerequisite for every movie, and so far there's only been one film that's actually done that. Yeah, um, it's such a great song. Yeah, both of because our
1: needs. the chorus is literally just the title of the song, <laughs> no other words in the chorus. Much and like that's so um, ACDC, isn't it? Yeah,
0: ACDC are really good for that, aren't they? So like Thunderstruck yeah. is the same, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I was surprised not to have heard of this film when I saw that It had a, a couple of people in it that I had heard of, not like huge stars but also Adam Brody, a main man, Seth from the OC. I mean, I know he's never perhaps reached the heights of true, like massive stardom, but he was, he was big at a particular time and place. I think for people our age, but um, it seems to have had quite a low budget and not really had like a huge release and stuff. And I think it's interesting that there must be probably a lot more films like this around that don't, that maybe didn't get the release that they deserved or the recognition that they deserved and now they're just kind of lurking in the depths of Amazon Prime, maybe not even Netflix in a lot of cases and like how are people going to find these films when they're actually very very good and probably deserve a lot more of people's time than I don't know, Peter Rabbit or whatever the fuck's at the box office.
0: <laughs> yeah, Peter Peter Rabbit can get to hell. Yeah. Um, and, and and yeah, that and, and that's the kind of thing where I did watch this movie and the first time I watched it I saw it. And I only I only saw it last year, I think, or the year before. Um and I and I watched it and I thought, why is this movie not bigger with people? Because like it's it's you know, it's not like an obvious film for people to watch. It's not got that that obvious box office appeal um because it's not got that stupid humor to it. It's a very clever movie in general. Um but at the same time this is the kind of film that should be like a sleeper indie hit that like lots and lots of people who are into cinema go and see. Um but it hasn't really had that either, which always really surprises me when something like that happens.
1: Yeah, and sometimes the reason is that the film sucks. <laughs> But in this case, and yeah, that, that that
0: is sometimes the reason. But here, that's not the case at all. And it, and it's got some relatively big names in it. So like Adam Brody, obviously, um, like a heartthrob back in the day. Um, you've got um, later Meester, who has one of the most fun names to say in all yep. the showbiz. <laughs> um, who you know, obviously, a, a pretty big name. She's, she's um, in that
1: show, The Gossiping Girl, which I've I've, ne- <laughs> yes. I've never seen. But
0: uh, yeah, she is in that that uh that series uh the girl who gossips i think it's called um and yeah it's and so like it's got relatively big names in it um obviously you got uh gabore sidibe in it as well um who's always a really al- always puts in a uh, an interesting performance um and has done quite a variety of stuff um and um and yeah so it's a bit it's, it boggles the mind that it didn't do better than it did or isn't better known than it is
1: yeah I and I think the only reason is that there is just so much hashtag content out there now isn't there it's the competitive nature of the film marketplace that not every film is going to get that kind of big marketing budget or whatever this was an indie film it was a directorial debut it was based on a play that the, the writers um, had already done um, but they still managed to get some quite big actors in it so that's the part where you think maybe this if the studio is willing to spend money getting these actors in it did they not have a bigger marketing budget i don't know i'm just it's it's curious anyway
0: yeah and i think some of that might come down to the fact that some of the names in this were only have really sort of risen since this movie came out so, I mean, that's not the case of Later Meester or Adam Brody, for instance, but like um, Gabarissa Sidibe after this has gone on to do things like American Horror Story and stuff like that. I'm not sure whether this came out before or after Precious, which is her big break. Um, and then like Kate McKinnon has a small cameo in here. And if if she'd been, if this had been released like last year, for instance, off, off the back of her success on um, Saturday Night Live and uh, the Ghostbusters reboot, um, where she was easily the best thing about that film um it, um it I maybe would have been it. a bigger pull it's it's one of those things where for, for me the ghostbusters movie um people hated it or people loved it but in reality the it kind of fell in a middle ground where there's quite a lot of stupid stuff in it that doesn't quite work um because it's quite sort of an action-based film the fact that they kind of let them do a lot of ad-libbed dialogue right. and they kind of let people run with the scenes. It made it all feel quite sloppy. Yeah. Um, so rather than quick punchy humor, like in the original films, all of the f- scenes are quite meandering and then they're sort of like uh, bullet pointed by, um, by random acts of action where they fight ghosts. Yeah. Um, I don't
1: know if you know this, but ghosts aren't very good at improvising
0: no they're not and and neither uh, particularly cgi ghosts are really bad at improvising because Uh, not only are they supernatural and so strange in nature but also you've got to plan that stuff really far in advance um so like yeah so the fact that it um it had that weird weird blend of like improv humor from lots of very very funny comedians with clear action set pieces it didn't quite work as i think they intended and i think they needed to be a bit more brutal in the way that they scripted it and like just be like, don't ad lib this. Here's the script, read the script, move on. Um so so it didn't feel as it, it, it was kind of a missed opportunity because he had a really talented cast there. Um which yeah, but it's not as bad as as the angry internet people said it is either.
1: Oh I'm, I'm sure I'm sure it's not. Nothing ever is.
0: No. So it was it was all right. I wouldn't watch it again, but at the same time I didn't hate it and kate mckinnon's great in it which is probably worth watching it just for her performance cool yeah it's a great Um, cast yeah so so yeah so but that was like her her big break and she's really sort of she steals that one scene she's in kate mckinnon she's really really funny in life partners as well and kind of has this very outlandish character um and it's she's in it for what about two minutes at most yeah and and then is never seen again, but it's still one of those moments that really sort of like brings home the movie, I suppose. It's one of those things that sticks in your mind.
1: Yeah, it's actually the, the, the interactions with the smaller characters say a lot when they do. Like there's also uh, t- towards the very end, there's the barbecue scene where it was almost like, I thought it was actually going to go to a happy ending where um Jillian Jacobs' character brings in a friend from work who's new, who is gay to try and set her up with Sasha. Um, and Sasha's very resistant to it and I thought it might have been like oh they were going to like meet and she was going to be with someone who has her shit together and like which would have been kind of cheesy but you also wouldn't have resented the film for doing that because it had set that up as a thing that could be resolved in that way but of course it went the other way but the um, th- that scene there are two of, like, of Adam Brody's like, douchey mates who are just there for that one scene and he's barbecuing and he's really obviously like resents his old like bro mates because he's kind of grown up a bit and they haven't and they're all, they're all like, oh, so is she really a lesbian? Has she really dated, like, never dated a man? And he's like, yes, she's gay, dude. Like, come on. I like, <laughs> tried to explain yeah. it to them. And how, how, like, douchey his mates are. And they're like, oh, she's like, yeah, she's gay as well. And they're all like, and then they go, this buddy sucks.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and, yeah, that's a really, it's a really clever little scene. And and it it also sets up, because it would have been very easy for this film to make um adam brody's character tim into a really unlikable character and have that as part of the friction but instead like it's clear that like he he really wants to like sasha and 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 tim and sasha they do get on well in the film there's no sort of like major friction between them other than just the fact that it's the circumstance that tim is there and taking sort of time away from Paige when sasha needs that time um and, and and so his role as sort of like a slightly more mature guy, even though he wears T shirts with slogans on them and, and quotes the Big Lebowski all the time.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, do do you know what? I've never seen the Big Lebowski.
0: You know what? I I've not seen it either. I keep I keep I keep meaning to watch it and everyone's just like, Oh, you've got to see the Big Lebowski but it's one of those films where everyone's said how good it is for so long and I'm just like, Oh, I'll watch it later. Yeah. I think it's um, gonna
1: be a letdown at this stage.
0: Yeah. Um but I I'm going to watch it at some point. I don't oh, think, yeah, I don't yeah, think I can sure. get away with not watching it for much longer. Um I, I have seen Talladega Nights though, the other movie that he quotes. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> actually
1: It's very very funny that that is like a film that he thinks is quotable and stuff because yeah. isn't that I haven't seen it. It's a dumb like Will Ferrell racing movie that's relatively yeah. recent.
0: Yeah, it's it's it was I think it was what he did after Anchorman. It was the movie he did up following Anchorman in that same kind of fashion and like it's you know how anchorman is really funny but really stupid if you turned up the stupid and turned down the funny just a little bit that's talladega knights right okay so it's still it's still kind of funny
1: so it's passable.
0: It, yeah it's passable, but it's so unbelievably dumb um you know i like will ferrell
1: i've got a lot of time for will ferrell and i think people will treat him unfairly
0: yeah so do i i really like will ferrell um i uh have you ever seen casa de mi padre
1: no it looks really funny
0: yeah which is which is like the most niche thing possible really where he's done a comedy like spoof of a of a telenovela yeah and it's which in is Spanish, like this right? cultural which is all in Spanish yeah, yeah and it's it's this cultural thing that completely makes no sense outside of spanish-speaking countries as well um and so yeah it's just a, it's just an absolutely fantastic film it's really really funny but everybody i don't think anybody really liked it but i think part of that might come from the fact that no one really got what they were trying to do as well yeah Um, definitely
1: no he's done a lot of dumb nonsense but i still have I still have a lot of time for him
0: yeah and i've got time for
1: dumb nonsense Oh yeah. Of There's course.
0: always time for dumb nonsense.
1: <laughs> that's that's what we're trying to do here with this podcast, right?
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um but yeah, so so those sort of minor characters are really great in life partners as well. But but it doesn't take away from the fact that the relationship between Paige and Sasha feels very real and it feels really tender and intimate between them. You get the sense that they are really close friends. Um and and even though it's very subtly done, it doesn't feel that it doesn't really feel boring or anything like that, which which is that very close. It's a very thin line to walk again, and they manage to do it expertly.
1: The film it spends just enough time on the scenes that develop their intimacy, um, that you never feel like it's pushing it too much, and that then there's enough time on the scenes with the other people as well. The, the you know the scene length and all the, the way the scenes come together is very very good, and you know I think the reason that films often struggle with this is that watching as one person observing the intimacy of two other people is kind of a strange thing to watch, isn't it? And I think to try and depict that on screen is not an easy task. And a lot of mainstream films don't do it. You actually find it done better in, I think, more independent films or more low-budget films as well. That's like... Um, it's more of a mumblecore thing almost, actually, as well, isn't it? Just kind of exploring the intimacy between two people without it being too plot-driven, I guess.
0: Yeah, and that that's... Um that's the other thing um where i think having a low budget helps is is where you have to really explore those kind of ideals don't you yeah Um, you know
1: you've only got this house and this set and these scenes and whatever so you know you have to make the best of what you've got and it did yeah it really really did but it was well it was well put together as well i think the writers themselves managed to put in a lot of good details that i think might have been things that were personal to them like you know, they're going to play Girl Talk or they they enjoy watching Next Top Model or whatever, but things that are still intimate between the two people but still accessible to you as a viewer because you could be like, oh yeah, that's the kind of thing me and my friend might enjoy or whatever. Whereas sometimes when intimacy is depicted, perhaps it's almost not accessible enough to you as a viewer, which is a a difficult thing to get right on film.
0: Yeah, that's right. It is a difficult thing to do. Um, But they managed to do it very well here. Um it's yeah it's 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 handled very well and like I've, I've read online that actually like their their sort of status as close friends is like mirrored in the relationship between the writer and director and as two writers and one of them directed yeah um, that, that, so that they, totally makes sense yeah so it's clear that it did kind of like it kind of mirrored real life in some fashion um and and that that definitely works to its favor
1: yeah. I, I, it's the kind of thing where you look at that and go, it probably has a lot to do with their personal experience. Yeah.
0: So yeah, it's, it's really great. And, and and all of that kind of stuff works incredibly well.
1: Yeah. But the intimacy with um, Adam Brody's character, Tim, was very, very interesting as well in the way that that developed. Because they didn't spend as much time on it, but you still completely believed it. And you believed that he was sort of changing for her and dressing differently and getting rid of his slogan t-shirts and stuff because at first you think oh maybe he's just going to be a douchebag and it's going to be that she changes to be with this like film nerd guy who wears slogan t-shirts but he changes as well and they change together and that's the interesting thing that film often doesn't do as well is it gives some of it it gives its major characters a lot of space to change and only uses the minor characters as kind of plot devices whereas in this case all of the characters get that kind of investment from the writing which is really, really great. So I felt differently about Adam Brody's character at various different points throughout the film, but in the end, I think he worked out okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're definitely right there, where you're not always on board with him, but it's clear, particularly at the end of the film, that he really doesn't just care about Paige, but cares about the whole scope of her life and her friends and things like that, and clearly does want Sasha to do well too. Um, and, and that's sort of like conversation that they have at the end in the supermarket i think kind of that's sort of like a jumping off point for for sasha to then start um building up her life again from hitting this rock bottom place yeah um where it's sort of like it, it validates her own feelings about what she wants to do and um and sort of brings to home the fact that there are still boundaries that two best friends can have where they don't share them with their partners and things like that um, in a a really clever way. And it does it really nicely. And it doesn't feel like it's overly laboured either.
1: Yeah. And it really acknowledges well, you know, the passage of time and how that affects friendship as well, which I think is something that I don't believe has been explored in this kind of cinema as much as perhaps it should have been given how Interesting it is, you know, in terms of what it can do for plot and character and how it can provide a great story and commentary on, you know, culture and friendship and intimacy and all of these things. It's like actually a lot of films where they try to explore friendship don't really acknowledge... People change over time and they they talk about getting, you know, approaching 30 and what they used to do in their early 20s and stuff. And it's like, actually, you get to different times in your life and you want different things and your friendships change. And that's how it is. And that is actually a difficult thing. But it doesn't have to be either a big, huge, heartbreaking thing. It can just mean that things change and you process them. And it it acknowledged that in a good way as well.
0: Yeah. And it it is a really difficult thing, I suppose, because a lot of it is when you feel like you're drifting away from people and i i've had big panics about this over time where like you you do drift away from people naturally whether it's down to being in a different location geographically or having different priorities in your life and things like that um but when you reach that conclusion that actually like it's okay to not constantly be in contact with someone or it's okay to drift apart from people it kind of frees you up to do things. And this movie, like, although the end message isn't that it's okay that these two people aren't going to be friends anymore, because obviously they are going to be friends. There is that message that although they both now got different priorities, it doesn't matter if they it's not a dramatic failure if they don't see each other as much.
1: Yeah, which is Um, more realistic than I think what a more mainstream film would have done, which would have been to try and end on some kind of bang or some kind of much bigger change. When actually, it was more of them just ending with the acceptance of this is kind of how it's going to be now. And she gets the she gets the tux out of the cupboard, and she's it's like a blue a blue tux that's kind of like the one that Lizzie Kaplan wears to the prom in Mean Girls, actually.
0: Yes, yeah, it is actually.
1: Um, so that was kind of a sweet ending, but yeah, I didn't expect it to end with a bang, and that was perhaps something that maybe I don't know, maybe could have done with maybe something slightly bigger at the ending it just seemed to tail off i guess but i can't see how else you could have done it
0: yeah and that and it is the thing actually that it it feels a little bit mellow at the end i suppose and although everything's worked out well and everything's worked out naturally um yeah you do kind of get that sense of like oh should there have been something bigger at the end um but at the same time it you know it's it's a very real film and it ends in a very real way
1: are you so, anti mellow? Yeah.
0: Uh, I'm not anti mellow, but like I like a I like a little bit of drama in my films, and I like a little bit of excitement at the end. And that doesn't mean that it had to end with a fight between two armies, one with armored rhinoceroses. <laughs> yeah, um,
1: no, it's Adam Brody and all his golf buddies with all their <laughs> yeah, the golf clubs. They all,
0: they all come along with golf clubs at the end. Um, no, yeah, so I. I yeah but i do i do like having sort of like i like the structure of films and not even just like a traditional structure but i like sort of like the kind of melodramatic dynamics being messed around within movies and this movie maybe didn't that do that as much as i would have liked but i feel like it was so captivating that it didn't really matter and and like the end is very relaxed but again it doesn't really matter because you're so captivated in the characters and you're really happy that they've reached this acceptance and happiness that it's, it's all okay. Yep.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's exactly what I thought as well. It's relaxed is a very good word to describe it. Actually, the storytelling is relaxed. The characters are relaxed, but it still hits the dramatic notes. And I think relaxed isn't a word you could apply to very many films in, in any genre or any context really, but it definitely applies here.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and, and it's a, it's a, yeah, it's it's nice. And it and it doesn't really feel like anything else I've watched either. Um, so like there there's kind of you're right, it's got that kind of mumblecore feel to it, but at the same time it's not got that introspection. There's not a a five minute long scene where they play the shins, yeah. and uh, and it's lots yeah. of long shots of someone walking in the rain.
1: No, it's a lot um, tighter than like a, a Duplass Brothers film or something. It's like it's it's it does it does what it needs to do storytelling wise and doesn't labour anything, but still feels relaxed. And again, that's that's a difficult line to walk, but it it pulls it off.
0: Yes, for sure. Um, so yeah, I I like it. I think it's good, and I like the characters. Mm,
1: yeah, um, me too. It's it's yeah, it's yeah, really nice. And I like as well that there's a scene between Sasha and Tim towards the end as well, when they both kind of had fights with people and they run into each other in the supermarket and they just kind of exchange a few words about Paige, who is Julian Jacobs' character. and Because um, a lot of writers, I think, wouldn't think to put those two characters in a scene where it's just them. Um, but that's actually a good way to expose drama and move things along, isn't it? So i I appreciated that they did that as well at the point where it would have been the most interesting and the most significant
0: it's it's really good i i really love that scene um as i as i sort of said before as i mentioned before about it but i do really love that they put those two together in a scene on their own um because it you're right it it very rarely happens that way and in a more traditional movie in a more sort of like boring film that, that scene would never have happened because they would have been the two points of friction for Paige as the main character. So Paige and Sasha would have been the main ones, but Paige would have been the focus because that it would have been caused by, she's got a boyfriend, but she's got a best friend and they don't like each other.
1: Yeah. And so What's they'd never have happen? that scene. They're the going to argue when... about sports.
0: <laughs> <laughs> one of them likes the Blue Jays and one of them likes the Red Sox, you see. <laughs> What's um, going to
1: happen? <laughs> and what's going to happen is the Red Sox are going to win the World Series. <laughs> I hope so. Everyone else is going to be disappointed, <laughs> and well, then a big Bos- green monster's going to come and eat everyone.
0: Yes, then Boston's going to love it. <laughs> um, as a as a as a baseball fan, you'll be pleased to know that um, Fallout Four is set in Boston. Oh, and cool. and um, Fenway is uh, is one of the surviving areas where humans still live. So it's like one of the uh one of, one of like the few sort of like c- uh cultural hubs in the in the wastelands of of Boston basically after this nuclear apocalypse. And and um and so it's really cool so like all the guards are wearing like baseball outfits and stuff like that. And um and one of the missions is to help them maintain the big big green monster which is one of the big walls that keeps out mut- mutants and stuff like that. And yeah, so they really, they really did a good job in terms of like framing it uh, that way. And it's one of the best things about the game is sort of that little community. And, and in fact, the way that they sort of built Boston in general was really good. It's a very, very nice way that they did it. Um, but yeah, so I don't know what happened to the Blue Jays in the Fallout universe.
1: Um, I'd imagine they all died.
0: Maybe, um, you know, because it, it takes a certain quality of baseball team to survive. Uh, a nuclear apocalypse which obviously the red
1: Sox has (laughs) yeah although i bet the yankees didn't survive either
0: yeah what what i would love and i don't know if it happens in any of the dlc is if there's like a a mutant raider group wearing yankees uniforms that invades (laughs) invades the boston area in fallout 4 and then like it's all a last stand between people who are wearing red Sox outfits and yankees outfits
1: yeah you gotta fight them off
0: yeah that would have been amazing I, d- I don't know if that happens or not maybe it happens in part of the dlc
1: for the game but yeah ah, that sounds like a lot of fun i love a good post-apocalyptic challenge
0: yeah it's always i i like a good post-apocalyptic setting um although it doesn't really lend itself very much to romance
1: which is sadly the not no well we we did that um seeking a friend for the end of the world Not. it's not quite post-apocalyptic but it's it's pre apocalyptic yeah. <laughs> I, I guess <laughs> yeah <laughs> um uh, which, surprisingly, did not start a trend for pre-apocalyptic films.
0: <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, it I'm going to have a search. Post-apocalyptic romance movies. Come on.
1: There's got to be a few.
0: I mean, I suppose The Hunger Games, kind of.
1: Yep, that's true. Yeah, that's that's actually, oh, like, a, it's a love triangle.
0: Yeah. Oh, again, you've got Warm Bodies, the zombie romance movie with Nicholas Holt.
1: Yep. Nicholas Hotolt.
0: You've got Wally.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. That's a great film. Underappreciated, actually. I think. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I think for a long time it was overappreciated, but yeah. now it's kind of died off, and like people don't really think about it as much as they should.
1: I think um, Pixar have just had so many smash hits since that it's been forgotten.
0: Yeah. Um, whereas, yeah, I quite like it. Um, I think it's great. Yeah, and and then they've mentioned *Zombieland*. I'm not sure whether I would count *Zombieland* as a romance. There's a, there's, a, there's some romance in it, but it's primarily just a straight up comedy.
1: Um, cool, but you know that that's our rule, isn't it? As long as there's even the thinnest of a romantic subplot, we'll watch it.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and then they've got um, the host as well, uh, which is another. That's, that's another Stephanie Meyer book, Stephanie isn't Meyer,
1: it? yeah, yeah, yeah. I have not read it um no i have not read it either that might be an interesting one to discuss actually considering we did do twilight before
0: oh yeah we could do we could um we could follow up on it
1: yeah because again i think that has completely disappeared from popular culture the host twilight still does well but i don't think anyone's really buying those books or watching that film anymore
0: yeah yeah i think you're right there
1: (laughs) yeah it's because it doesn't have wolf voice
0: it's true.
1: It's true. Um, yeah. Anyway. Do, um, do yes, we continue. have anything else to say about life partners? The phrase life partner always reminds me of that. I've mentioned this in the podcast before, but that Peter Serafinovich sketch where Jeremy Clarkson's gay and he has a life partner called Raoul who's in the car wearing tiny shorts. Oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. um, it'll, it'll always remind me of that. But good title again it does what it needs to do makes you think about the the nature of intimacy and such
0: yeah yeah and it, it does and it, it's like um yeah i suppose you're right
1: that it it
0: i because I, i'm not entirely i'm not entirely sold on the name life partners in general for this movie yeah because because the, the end the end of the movie doesn't really set them up as life partners as such
1: no, um, I think it's meant to make you th- question the nature of relationships in yeah. and who is with you throughout your life.
0: Yeah, and, it, and it's like, yeah. So I'm not, I, I don't know whether it really accurately reflects the, the content of the movie in general, but I do like, yeah. I, they should have
1: I, called it sword fighting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, that would have been amazing. Or Or just had the title as a stream of road rage comments.
1: Yeah, yeah, just the word bitch over and over.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, so in terms of in terms of anything else to say, I've just got the one bit of trivia was that uh, Kristen Bell and Evan Rachel Wood were both considered for the role of Sasha.
1: Ah, um, interesting.
0: But they both became pregnant, um, oh. so they did not get it. But I think uh, later Meester does a good job.
1: Yeah, I think she's really really good. I think either the others could have handled it but yeah it's a very very good performance
0: yes yeah it is it is it is um good and yeah i think you're right that any of them could have could have um could have done it really well again with evan rachel wood it would have been again just before she got massive because obviously she was in west world yeah uh, which started in 2016 which really made her a huge name um so yeah, um, but yeah, they both would have done a really good job,
1: I'm sure. But yeah. Leighton Meester does great in it, so. and Leighton Meester and Adam Brody are an item.
0: Yes, they are indeed.
1: I don't know if um, they met on this film or if they were already going out, but that's an interesting one.
0: Um, yeah, let's have a little look. She became engaged to Adam Brody in 2013. Oh, okay, so they were. Already. So it
1: was. They were already. All right. So, yeah, that scene when they're in the supermarket together playing, like, friends, friends. That's, yeah, an interesting one. Yes. In real life, yeah. they're married. Lol. In
0: real life, they're married.
1: But well, that's um, nice for them. They seem happy.
0: Yes, yeah, which is good.
1: Yep. Yeah. And he doesn't have that bad facial hair and glasses in real life.
0: He does not. And I, it really frustrated me, his terrible facial
1: hair in this movie. Yeah. I'm not um, sure it was strictly necessary.
0: No. I mean, it did make him... Clearly, like they wanted to make him look like the kind of guy that would wear like slogan T-shirts, and so like that did help complete the look. I suppose, <laughs> but at the same time, oh, just shave, mate, because yeah. he's a handsome—he's a handsome man.
1: He's a very handsome man.
0: He doesn't need the beard. Let that no. jawline do the talking,
1: Adam. Yeah, yeah. It—it it is a real shame to see a beard on a on a good jawline.
0: It's why I don't shave because obviously I've got a perfect jawline.
1: Yeah yeah <laughs> the jawline of an adonis
0: <laughs> disclaimer i do not have the jawline of not, an adonis um, so i'm making a little not too.
1: lord adonis
0: no who, who is um i i made this point on on twitter the other day is that lord adonis lord adonis should be a 70s bodybuilder or like an 80s wrestler but instead he's a slightly weedy looking guy who complains about stuff a lot
1: he does a lot of complaining.
0: And, yeah, and I just feel like it's a cop-out. It's like, obviously, we've got Lord Sugar as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. And,
0: like, Lord Sugar should be a candy bar um, mascot. You know? Not Alan Sugar. It should be some guy, like, who throws chocolate at kids from an yeah. airplane.
1: And it's like, oh, I'm Lord Sugar. <laughs> the candy man.
0: Yeah, exactly. But instead, he's he he's an angry Twitter man um so yeah i feel like the entire house of lords should be disbanded based purely on the fact that it's lying to us with these two people
1: definitely you know ignore the fact that it's an undemocratic unelected body which you know that actually sometimes holds the house of commons to an account in a in a decent ish way you know never mind all that none of the lords are doing crazy lord things so it's a problem
0: yeah exactly and I, I I hate it. I hate the fact that Lord Adonis is not a really muscular guy walking out covered in baby oil.
1: Yeah, he comes into the House of Lords and just picks up Lord Sugar, throws him down, smack down.
0: <laughs> I've got an objection. Check out my guns. Starts flexing.
1: <laughs> yeah. um,
0: that has never happened in the House of Lords and I think that is much to the detriment of the British political system.
1: Yeah, well, to be honest, that's probably slightly elevated from where political discourse is at now so you
0: know (laughs) are you saying that the next prime minister should be decided by a wrestling match between jeremy corbyn and theresa may
1: absolutely yes
0: although the the one thing obviously that would make that better is if like john prescott came in with a chair and just (laughs) smacked your boris johnson with it bam yeah um okay i'm on board with this um, yeah. Shall we start a change.org uh, petition?
1: Yeah, definitely, because that's the most effective way to get anything done.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll get it started today. Hundred we'll, percent
1: um, success rate.
0: Definitely. Although, can you imagine if something like that got how many? How many? Uh, how many signatures does it need to get to be debated? Ten thousand.
1: Not. It's not that many.
0: Like, <laughs> no, it's not. We could definitely do this. Yeah. If some. If some. If some cheeky people on social media picked up on it. Yeah, <laughs> we could definitely get uh, next prime minister decided by WWE wrestling.
1: We'd only need the support um, of a couple of lords. I reckon.
0: I reckon we could get it done.
1: And few I reckon a re- few t- retweets from our main man Lord Adonis would do the trick. Yeah,
0: I mean, like, I still don't trust him because he needs to get swole.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, we need to we need to do a training montage. Yeah, we the it, fight the it, wrestle can't happen happen tomorrow. We need at least. He needs to push it to to the limit to plan a montage.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hold on, I think someone's (laughs) at the door. I'll be back in a sec.
1: That's cool. We're nearly done, don't we?
0: Paddy, is that Nicolas Cage playing the mandolin?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a beautiful night. And if you think (laughs) about falling in love, oh. (laughs)
0: Yeah. <laughs> that would have been perfect.
1: That would have been my, my final entry for the cage challenge. That yeah, uh, that would have been wonderful. Um, was that the Postman? It was the postman. The Sunday
0: Postman. Uh well it was a it was a delivery that could have fit uh, through the letterbox, but they clearly uh, wanted to ignore me. Those uh, podcast ruining jerks. I know, how dare they? <laughs> oh dear. Uh, um so uh do so, you have yeah. Anything Look out else for our rest,
1: wrestlingparliamentchange.org wrestling parliament change org petition. Um yeah, no, get I, on it. I, I think um I think that's it for this. Yeah. Good very good film. Um very enjoyable, deserves much more recognition than it got. Um, a lot of fun and you know, very, very realistic, portrayed intimacy and friendship in a very, very good and interesting way, had very, very good characterisation, and yeah, it was it was enjoyable. It's a very, very enjoyable film to watch.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I really like it. It's um it's not your usual film. And it's not your usual film that talks like vaguely about LGBTQ plus stuff either. It um it does it in a very different way and it's not really the focus, which is sometimes quite nice is sometimes it's good to have a film that talks about that subject matter without it that being the central focus of it.
1: Yeah, like it um, wasn't trying it... to make any big statements about anything, really. It was just no, there, a thing. It's
0: it's just making a a matter of fact story about two friends and one of them just happens to be part of that community.
1: Yeah. But I think Uh, I did go into it expecting it to be trying to make bigger statements or to explore that more. Like I thought it was going to be that um, it was the lesbian who then ends up being in a relationship and alienating her friend and that it was going to actually explore the dynamics of that more. And I wasn't disappointed that it didn't, but I think that perhaps also is why people People look at it and think it's going to be trying to make some kind of heavy-handed point about it, maybe, and maybe pe- maybe that's put people off. I don't know because people don't have open minds or assume or don't assume that it's going to be actually just be a part of the film and it's going to be relaxed, as you said. Yeah,
0: and I think that that might be part of it. But instead, I I really like the way that it doesn't make a big deal out of that kind of stuff, and it just makes this real, personal, realistic uh, film about friendship which is great
1: yeah very very good so any ideas for rating Let's how
0: us. many lesbians can you fit in a subaru <laughs>
1: that's the obvious the obvious one yeah um i can fit 16 in my subaru it's massive mate huge boot. Uh,
0: that is a that is a massive subaru but actually i have exactly the same model and can also fit 16 um, it, it's a really great movie. This um, really underrated for some reason, not seen by that many people. Um, and yeah, so get on it, give it a watch. Yeah, won't be please do.
1: Yeah, if you haven't if you haven't seen it, please do go and watch it. We haven't spoiled the plot or anything really, but it's, it's not really a plot driven film; it doesn't really matter. But like, yeah, definitely go and watch it. It's it's well worth your time. It's on Amazon Prime for the, yes. the princely sum of two forty nine for a standard definition rental. So that's that's not too bad as as no. film rentals go.
0: No, no, it's a, it's a, it's an all right all right price to to watch a good film. So yeah. yeah,
1: give it a watch. Well worth your time and your money. Cool. So my choice next. It's time for something completely different. Oh. We've been um we've been talking for a little while about kind of Weird sci-fi films that have romance plots or whatever. So I think it's time that we got around to Jupiter Ascending. We've been talking yes. about it. Yes, we've been talking about it forever, and I think the time has come. Yes,
0: mate, I am on board with this. I want to see Channing Tatum's stupid dog ears. You I haven't have seen it so long. Have I have not seen it. No,
1: no I, I haven't seen it either. So I think that's that's a good a good place to go. Yes, love it. Yeah, yeah, our forty ninth episode. That'll be
0: oh wow we're nearly at 50 we'll have to do something big for 50 yeah Yeah. i'll have to i'll have to come up with something excellent for that
1: yeah very exciting cool do i don't actually think that we have anything else to talk about just sad that the cage challenge is over but i'm sure we can think of some some other fun thing to do in the future
0: yeah, and if anybody wants to make further Cage videos, please feel free.
1: Oh, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. It's still, there's no reason you can't still keep doing it. You just you just no, can no longer be in the running for a drawing of Nicolas Cage.
0: Yes, that's the only thing. You won't get that. But, yeah. um... Sorry. But, yeah, it's still lots of fun to make those videos, so I might make a few more. We'll see.
1: Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, in that case... Let's, let's leave it there we'll be back next week to talk about Jupiter Ascending um, thanks as always for listening really appreciate it do leave us ratings and reviews etc wherever you get your podcasts and if you have anything to tell us tweet us at bigboysdontpod email us bigboysdontcrypodcast at gmail.com
0: yes please do get in touch with anything you like
1: anything at all yes and yeah
0: let us, let us know what you thought about this movie as well
1: yeah please do were we, were we right were we wrong who knows? Obviously. Is there any one way to right. find out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to wrestle for it.
0: Yeah, we you know, I'll get my spandex on.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> right, okay. Cool. All right. All right. Speak soon. Bye. Bye.